Okay, and we're live. What is up? How are you? Hello, Superstar Dan. <laughs> Everybody, please welcome Fred to the show. Um, so, about to have a great conversation, I think, today. Uh, it's funny, like, I didn't, I would have never expected, like, a year ago that, like, we'd be, like, on the podcast, like, having a talk and, like, you know, on the phone, like, doing work together and stuff. It's crazy how, you know, things change, so... I didn't. I feel like I didn't really. Know, I didn't even really know you that well like six months ago. So, yeah, I mean, it's life's a trip. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I remember we met at uh, uh, one of the uh, like at a conference. Uh, we were all sitting at the same table. Was it this? Was it the Sarasota? The Sarasota conference? Yeah. Which yeah. one was it? Which one was it? Do you that know? was with the. Uh, Dan Stickler, Dr. Stickler. Yeah, but there was like, there was two of them. Was, was Andrew, well, we won't even say his name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, won't say, uh, we won't say his name. Um, Chris was there. Chris was Tracy. there. Tracy I don't remember. There. I remember. Was Jose, was Jose there? I don't remember Jose, but okay. we, we, so we met there and, and then we, we hung out at the after party. Remember we were hanging On out. The patio. Yes, and you met my wife, and my wife was like, "Oh, who's that?" I was like, "All right, easy, <laughs> easy." <laughs> oh no, yeah. Okay. For any of your listeners or or, or viewers, Dan's jacked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they they're uh, they should be aware at this point of, of my uh, of my Maybe. level. So no, I I used to be a lot bigger. I used to, I've downsized quite a bit. So since well, then, I, I'll tell you, lean and mean is. is is the way to go. But I, but I remember we met then and we were talking with that one of the women that worked for Dr. Stickler. She was like a retired uh, female wrestler, like professional wrestler. Oh, yeah. Melissa. Melissa. Yeah. It's Melissa. Yeah, she was yeah. so cool. Um, yeah. Melissa's awesome. Yeah. And then, and then I remember, you know, you, you finally moved to Florida and, and I was like, you know, I run a cardiac practice, but I, you know, pivoted by adding a lot of lifestyle and then we kind of i kind of just randomly contacted you on on facebook and and you were kind to kind enough to to respond well i mean yeah i mean obviously you know like i'm you know i'm gonna reach out to uh you know to anybody who i feel like you know is in the kind of same space who needs help and anything i mean like i'm always open to working with everybody um who's in like kind of like the same working space i don't really have like a um like, I'm not selective, you know what I mean? Really, like, I'm just like, if anybody needs, you know, anything from me, like, I'm always happy if I have the time to be able to, to help. So I'm actually helping a, um, a new coach who's getting certified with a peer on. I'm actually helping him get ready for his certification test. So we're kind of going to go over, like, kind of how to do the genomic uh, readings and all that. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool stuff. I've, I've incorporated that. It, it, you know, it's interesting because you know, I I'm, I've been a uh, like a, a, a conventional, <laughs> conventional, interventional. Uh, well, conventional. just tell tell everybody what you do, real quick. Oh, yeah, okay, explain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm a I'm a cardiologist. I'm an interventional cardiologist. That means I'm the guy that gets called at two a.m. or any hour during the day right. when someone's having an, a, an emergent heart having a heart attack you know, clutching their chest, you know, or, or out of hospital arrest, you know, someone sees them faint 
And so I'm the guy that, you know, God, I can't tell you, I've missed birthday parties. I've missed, you know, uh, Shabbat, <laughs> you know, for our Jewish friends. I've missed Christmas, um, almost missed the birth of my twins. Um, oh. Yeah. And, and, and so I'm the guy that comes in and, and gets the artery open, gets, puts the stent in. And then I, I further trained to replace valves without opening the chest. I, I trained in uh, closing holes in the heart. And, and what's interesting is I, I've always really tried to get down into the science uh, that's behind a lot of what we do. And the biggest technology in the last five years, or almost 10 now, actually, it's actually, but I've been doing five years is, is the valves without opening the chest. And man, I can, God, I can get a valve. I'm not patting myself on the back or anything. It's because of the technology, but I mean, I can put a valve in, it's called an aortic valve in like 30 minutes yeah. now. A person can leave the hospital the next day. It's freaking crazy. Wow. But what, and so that's what I do on a day-to-day basis. And I read, I, but I also do general cardiology as well. So I read a lot of ultrasounds of the heart, ultrasounds of the neck, coronary calcium scores, CAT scan coronary angiographies, cardiac MRI, uh, a positron electro, uh, positive electron uh, tomography, uh, DEXA scanning, um, uh, nuclear SPECT imaging. Uh, and believe it or not, I have a physics nuclear license as well because of all that. So when you talk, yeah, so it's it's kind of, you know, when when you say conventionally trained in medicine, yeah, that's one way to look at it. Or you can say advanced training. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm considered a sub-subspecialist. But mm-hmm. my passion, <laughs> my true, because I love technology. I love being on the cusp of new technology. But my passion is, is, um, is lifestyle medicine, believe it or not. <laughs> I've always, I've always um been uh when i was when i was younger i was a baseball uh player uh my sisters were amazing tennis players my father was a scout for the cincinnati reds so so sport was our our passion my my uncles are amazing golfers and their their kids are like on golf scholarships at division one schools right now Um, my niece I'm, I'm sure we're going to see her on the LPGA. I, there's no question. Wow. Yeah. Really? She's that good. She's that good. She plays for. That's awesome. So lifestyle has always been my passion. And I went to med school in Boston mm-hmm. at Tufts. I went to Tufts and we were, we were very fortunate. We were actually a medical school that actually had a lot of nutrition training um, with the Tufts school of nutrition. It's probably the number one school in the world. And we had many classes, um, uh, uh, despite what a lot of people say, there are physicians that are, have pretty extensive training in nutrition. And, but my true, really what sparked me was when I was an undergrad at University of California, San Diego. That's where I grew up. Uh, I actually grew up in the desert, but I went to UCSD. And there was a professor uh, called uh, Dr. Paul Saltman. And he was a pioneer in um, uh, nutrition and biochemistry, nutrition and wellness. And this, I was in college in the 90s. 
in California. So that's kind of what really got me into it. And I've always, I've always um, uh, been involved in something while I was in med school. I, I would do about six or seven triathlons a year. I would do, I got into, I got into trail running. Um, they were called the Xterra races. I did a ton of those in, in Massachusetts and wow. Connecticut. Yeah, I used to, do, I would, people during med school, uh, we formed a training group. Instead of going to lunch, we ran on the Charles River um, mm -hmm. and then we would work out um, with plyometrics and because I'm <laughs> I'm also a surfer. <laughs> I love Jesus. to windsurf. Yeah. Yeah. So, a lot going on, man. Yeah. Yeah. So so I have to I have to constantly be training and stretching and I got to watch what I put in not only my body, but in my mind, because I do things that you can get hurt. And so but I never really realized that there was a word for all the stuff that I that I that I do and how I how I practice medicine, mm -hmm. and it, it's it's it, it's functional or more like integrative. I, integrative I'm more yeah. Integrative. yeah, I'm more an integrative yeah. um, uh, and, and complementary type of physician now. Who who I can I've been instituting nutrition plans, exercise regimens, not not to the extent that you would, Dan, because I don't have that kind of expertise. But I would just yeah, try right. to get people motivated, you know, kind of motivated right. and then figure out what they like to do. And and so that's what that's what I do. And I really, boy, I am trying to pivot to get to guys like in, you know, my age. I'm I'm almost 50 now. Mm -hmm. Um and 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 younger because I tell you, I've seen too much death in the last 10 years and it's it and it's and the population keeps getting younger and younger. And I keep thinking, right. gosh, I have all this knowledge and experience with lifestyle modification that I got to really start instituting this into daily practice because people listen to me. Patients listen to me. The patients will do whatever I say. Um, and it's crazy. I'll talk them into a procedure that can kill them. But I'll tell you, it's hard to talk them to stop eating at Five Guys. It's harder to get them to not eat at Five Guys anymore than it is yeah. to talk them into a procedure that can kill them. Yeah. And so that's what I've been working on for a few years. And it's taken me. And I'm a master at interviewing and getting patients to understand their, their health. But I'm not a master at, at, at convincing folks uh, to choose a certain lifestyle. And I, and I learned that I need to assemble a team, uh, to help with this because it's a lot of work. And that's mm -hmm. why I, I, I really appreciate you helping out a few of my clients. Yeah, man, of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because when you reached out to me, you know, at that time, like I really wasn't doing like, um, that kind of work anymore before, right before that, like I was just doing neuromuscular therapy pretty much like, you know, most of my time was taken up by that. And, um, I just gotten into real estate and then I was, you know, doing real estate investment and all this stuff, which I'm still doing, I'm, you know, working with a real estate acquisitions team. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's funny because like, I remember like I was going home for uh, the holidays and, uh, you know, it's just like, I was like, when I get back, like, I'm just going to turn it on. Like I'm turning, turning everything back. I'm, I'm dropping the neuromuscular therapy. Um, I was like, I'm getting back into what I love to do. Cause I was just like, everything had become so mundane and like, I just didn't really enjoy anymore any longer what I was doing. And, um, 
like I was causing impact. I was helping a lot of people, but I could only help so many people at a time. And it was all individualized and it was hard. I had to like, I feel like I had to sell myself again back to people. And the part of me developing the physique to have the look and all that stuff, like it all came with the fact that, you know, no one wanted to listen to me uh, in the very beginning when I had, when I was gaining all this knowledge, doing all this work, like nobody cared what I had to say. And so I was like, I developed, you know, started developing the look, developing the physique so I could catch people's attention. So they'd be like, ah, like, you know, cause like you said, like, it's so funny how people's minds work, right? Like you can convince them to do a procedure that's like highly, highly, you know, risky and all this stuff. And like, but like, just to be like, Hey, like, you know, stop, you know, stop drinking, you know, a six pack of beer every week. Like, can we just stop doing that? And they're like, ah, like it's, I don't know, <laughs> you know? And so I think for me, like, it was like, hey, you know, I have all this knowledge. And I was actually at the time before I started bodybuilding, I was probably healthier, right? Like I was, you know, yeah. I was eating, you know, cleaner, I wasn't slamming everything. And, uh, you know, it is people were just like, ah, like, you know, like, what is a, you know, what does this kid know about, you know, uh, you know, lifestyle management and nutrition and training and all that stuff. He doesn't know anything like, right. So then like, it's funny. Cause like when I got into bodybuilding, got into like this extreme, cause the plan was never to compete in bodybuilding. The plan was to, com you know, just to, just to be bigger, muscular and, you know, have a good look. And then it just, it just got out of control. <laughs> I just got out of control with it. And then, like, I just noticed the bigger I got, the, you know, more, like, muscle that I put on, the more extreme my physique got, the more extreme my personality became. And then, like, it became, like, a persona, you know, on social media. And then I couldn't take that persona away. And then the persona is what drew people in to work with me. And people wanted to work with me specifically just because of how I looked. And so that was something, too, like, I had to come to terms with this recently is, like, I was, like, like I had to create, like, separate accounts for you know, basically like my social media for my business and stuff and stuff that I wanted to post for my business just because like, that's not the draw. Like those things don't draw people in. I could make as many posts talking about, you know, really highly educated things and all this stuff. Like no one cares as long as I'm not sure listen in the picture. Like, <laughs> like it's yeah. kind of sad, but like no one, no one even reads the article if the picture is just a, a, a picture of a plate of fruit. Uh, no one reads any, you know, anything about it. If I post, you know, a picture of a molecule, you know what I mean? And talk about, you know, a new study of a new peptide or whatever, like no one cares unless like, like, but if they see me taking a needle and jamming it, you know, into my, you know, into myself and, you know, then putting that picture up of me, like shirtless doing that, like people are like, Oh my God, like, you know, it draws them in and they want to read what happened. So it was like, I've recently realized that like my biggest draw is still just it's still like how it started it's still how, like how I look and I think I got away from that I thought I was like going to this place where like I could just become the professional and I wouldn't have to continue to push that narrative and then it kind of became boring it became mundane and then um then I was afraid to post certain things and then but then I realized like my um like my viewership my likes my shares everything was going down because the more professional I got, the less people cared what I had to say. So I was like, that's just not my draw. It'll never be my draw. So I have to kind of like, you know, even though I can hang in the circles, like with you guys and talk and do all this stuff and talk science and, 
you know, talk research and all that stuff. When it comes to like me getting out to the public and getting my voice out, like I just got to go back to how I started. And that's just, you know, just putting my look out there to draw people in. So. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, as a, as a physician, I, you know, it's, that's my identity as well. And it's, it's interesting. My, I have 14 year old twin daughters now. And one of my daughter's projects last night, she asked me, um, can you explain what identity means and what my identity is? And I thought, wow, I said, well, let me turn it around. Let's look up what the word identity actually means, like how it's defined and by, by, cause it's just a word. Right. how it's defined by the people who created the word and we read it and i asked her to okay do you have an idea of what that word actually means and she said yeah and then i said okay explain to me my identity what do i look like to you that's what i asked her to just kind of open her mind and she kept saying physician athlete i do dan i do all kinds of stuff I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys. You know? right. I'm one of those guys and I don't advertise a lot of the stuff I do. I know a lot of stuff. I know how to, you know, I know how to play guitar. I know how to play tennis. I'm, I'm a good basketball player. I'm a, I'm a, uh, I used to be a really good golfer. I windsurf, I surf and I do this and I do that. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to balance my life because I've always known who I was. I felt like I was an imposter at some one point because, you know, I came, I grew up in a poor town in Southern California, just outside of San Diego. I alluded to the desert. And then I got thrown into this Mecca in Boston and, you know, all my peers grew up wealthy. They had famous, successful parents and, and I didn't have that. And so I was in a, in a, in a world where I didn't know, did I belong? And I realized if I just stayed true to what I love to do, and fortunately I had the outlets, my outlets was sport. Right. And, and I had the work ethic, which v- very few people can keep up with my work ethic. Um, hmm. And I just stick with that. It'll work out. And yeah, it rubs people the wrong way, but that's got nothing to do with me. <laughs> that's their problem. Um, right. I, you know, and it's funny because I'm almost 50 now and, and I, and I get patients and people all the time say, you're, you're 50, you're almost 50. I said, yeah. They're like, let me, let me feel your bicep. Let me feel your, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know. I'm pretty fit. Um, but I don't work out for the look. I work yeah. out. I work out because I don't want to get hurt when I'm out on the water. Right. And so I'm constantly looking at people that know more than me about exercise physiology. That's not my expertise. Mm. So I look right. at others and I don't try to dissect their data and, and reinterpret it to them because that's, that's mm. ridiculous. Otherwise you'd be on the computer all day going down rabbit holes. Um, <laughs> really? And yeah. So, and so when I go on uh, social media, I'm, I'm friends with a few big names out there on social media mm-hmm. and they're very, they're very reasonable big names, but they're also followed by very unreasonable big names that, sure. will, that will, that will discuss mechanistic details ad nauseum 
which don't translate clinically a lot. And that's, that's mm. where as a physician, that's what we're expert in. And a, yeah. lot of, a lot of folks don't believe it now because of the, the propagation of information. And it's not misinformation. It's just, right. it's, it's just disassimilated information. That's all really. That's, that's a great way to describe it. You know, it's funny. I was, I saw a post today made by a friend of mine, um, who does he's he's a health coach in a sense and and it's just like you know i understand like the calorie in calorie out um you know uh, you know message like, i get it like i get the message um i don't think that anybody out there is like out there running out in the streets saying that like if you if you just stop eating you'll lose you won't lose weight like no one's saying that Right. Like no one's saying, like no one's denying that if you just cut out all food, that well, you're just not going to lose. Like, you know what I mean? All, like, you know, if you want the proof, all you got to do is watch Survivor. And that's yeah, why, 100%. That's, that's why, that's why, <laughs> yeah, they they lose do, weight, yeah. Yeah. That's why they only do 21 days because then people start dying. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah you, can live, you can live yeah, about look a horrible month. by the end of the season. Yeah. You can live about a month without food. You can't right. live a few days without water but that's why it's only 21 days because otherwise right. <laughs> yeah i mean but you know my thing is is i'm this like you know i i don't i don't think that debates out there i think the debate is confused like i think the i think right. the the war between the two sides or what whoever's trying to make it into a, a a debate like there's no debate right like there's nobody saying that like calorie calorie calories in calories out isn't is doesn't exist it's it's the the difference is, is that you have people over here like yourself, like me, who are like, okay, yeah, no, we understand like, you know, calorie deficit matters. And you ask any of my bodybuilders who I've worked with anybody, you know, like, yeah, the last three weeks, last four weeks before a show, calorie deficit matters by, right. But we're talking about getting a body into, you know, an unnatural levels of body fat that it's not supposed to be at. And we're, 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 you know, doing tricks and doing enhancements to sustain the muscle to, you know, but you can't, you still can't last. You can take all the anabolic steroids, all the enhancements in the world. You still can't last at that level of body fat for so, too long. Oh, you know what yeah. I mean? So it's not sustainable. So I don't think anybody's denying that. It, it's the, it's the fact where you have people who are like, you know, they start talking about, you know, specific, you know, specific ways to eat specific diets for specific reasons. And, um, then you get these people who just, they just, they just jump into the space, right? They just jump into the space because they just like want to start training people or they just want to start, you know, doing diets in the gym. They've been working out in the gym now for two years and they're like, I just want to start dieting people. I just want to start taking clients. I want to start making money. Mm -hmm. Well, the easiest way to make money is to make things just look simple, right? Like, do you really think like, who do you think makes more money? You think like over in a, in a year span, do you think that, you know, Burberry makes more money or do you think Walmart makes more money? I would say Walmart probably makes more money. Yeah, volume. Yeah, because I thought people, you were gonna say I thought you were gonna say a cardiologist or a nutritionist. And I was like, a cardiologist. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I know I'm just saying I'm trying to use examples, you know what I mean? That people but there's but there's a reason why. There's a reason why, yeah. Because yeah, it's it's I mean, more volume, it's simpler. And well, a reason why a cardiologist makes more money than most other doctors oh, yeah. is because we do more and right. we have advanced knowledge and, and concepts that 
Well, in that you case, able to true. break down and make simpler. In that in that case, that's true. But I'm saying like I'm yeah, saying yeah, like Walmart you. versus like because oh, yeah. I'm saying like the the amount of work that goes into making a Burberry coat is 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 significantly far more than far goes into Walmart making their brands where they make their shirts or whatever. Yeah. The problem is there's a lot more people out there in the world in the in the country who can afford Walmart than who can afford Burberry, right? Yeah. So it's like this thing where you get this issue, and it, I'm just saying I'm and I'm not saying that that no one that you know if you don't read genetics you're walmart level you know your walmart level <laughs> i'm not saying that i'm just saying like i think there's a lot of people out there pushing walmart um you know price po- protocols and stuff and it's just a basically pretty much something that somebody could put together for themselves um you know there's they're not feedback based they're not digestive based they're not blood work based they're not anything based off of like like you said integrative uh, practices, right? It, it It's just simply give me your weight, give me your height. Do you want to lose weight or do you want to gain weight? And we're going to add in, we're going to try to do a, you know, a calorie deficit or a calorie surplus. We're going to calorie surplus to have you put on muscle. And then we're going to calorie deficit you to get you lean. And that works for, you know, maybe 75% of your clients. Um, 25% of your clients, um, it's not going to work for, um, because there's a lot more going on underneath the surface than what appears to be. And that's when we get the problems that come up that those people just throw into the bin, right? And those people who they can't get the answers with those trainers, with those coaches, they're just left to wonder what happened. And then they go, then they get to the other trainer and the other trainer goes, well, were you in a calorie deficit? They go, yeah. And they go, well, were you actually in a calorie deficit? Were you tracking your macros? Were you blah, 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 blah? And like, I, I just see this stuff like all too much on social media, right? And it's just like, it just drives me crazy because I'm just like, no one ever said that, that, you know, but if you look at someone's actual daily diet, I don't think if you look at the majority of Americans, the majority of Americans aren't overeating. It's not the, it's not the issue. The majority of Americans aren't overeating. They're undersleeping for one. They don't breathe correctly. Mm-hmm. They don't get adequate, you know, real exercise, real, you know, muscle development training. And their lifestyle habits are horrible. And me, you combine all that stuff together and it's like boom. It's like a, yeah. You know, yeah, let me blow your mind for a second. Yeah. I pulled and I have a couple of medical st- residents trying to to put the paper together but i pulled the last um 40 heart attacks that i had that i that i worked on um that's you know the big one where you grab the chest out of hospital and we looked at we went back and looked at their um their social history and then and then i also added um uh, you know, some laboratory, inflammatory laboratories, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Social history in a medical, um, in a medical uh, uh, chart is the, is the, is, do you work? Do you smoke? Do you drink? Do you exercise? What do you eat? Right. What is your, and, and it includes family history as well, but family history is, is separated because, you know, genetics play a role. Um, it's not the majority role, but it plays right. enough role that, because, you know, I've used, I started to use genetics in my practice as well. But what will blow your mind is we, when we looked at these 40 heart, at- heart attack patients that I personally worked on, so every single one had coronary disease at the worst level. And I call it end-stage coronary disease. This is malignant cancer. Yeah. This is going to kill you if we don't do anything about it. 
And when you have malignant cancer, what do you do? You go to an oncologist and you literally kill yourself to kill the cancer cells. And you don't make any lifestyle dietary changes. Um, It's just now that the cancer doctors are starting to look at the low insulin diets and what have you. But in these in these 40 heart attacks, so there is no there's no question of their disease. So this in the only limitation of my study is it's retrospective. But when it's when the endpoint is so clear, a lot of the study biases and a lot of the study um, uh, uh, internal and external validities kind of go by the wayside because this is a reflection of my community. I can't oh, I can't generalize to the general population, but I can generalize it to my community. Um, and when we went back, you know, most of the, most of the patients had normal cholesterol levels. Okay. Most, right. I would say two had a familial hypercholesterolemia profile or a Friedrich's type three uh, mm-hmm. profile. Um, that's a triglyceride profile. And those are genetic abnormalities. Only two, which I thought was a lot for 40 within a 40, um, uh, uh, with an N of 40, uh, population. Yeah. So most of the cholesterol was normal. Okay. Uh, maybe one or two of them smoked. Um, but almost 98%, not, almost 99% of them all ate fast food two to three times a day. They yeah. all, every single one of them had financial stress. Every That's single huge. one. Of, oh, it's, there's no question. Every single one of them stated they did they they've never slept well and i attribute that probably to the financial stress and um and so you couple all of that together those markers were easily um uh modifiable i don't know about the financial stress but you know we can get into that but what's interesting is not all of them had high hscrp during this acute event would you expect every single one of them would have had high HSCRP? Yeah, I mean, yeah. typically, it's yeah. An, it's an acute event. Of course you would have. Sure. Every single one of them had an elevated troponin. Every single one of them had an elevated CKMB. Every single one of them had an elevated microalbuminuria. You get where I'm going with this? Right. And they, 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 had, they, they had all the symptoms of someone who was like norm, enormously obese, like... Yeah. you know, just yeah. com- completely high cholesterol levels, like through the roof, like, but Dude. it wasn't that none of that was no. there. It was just, no. yeah. And the it. average, the average BMI, despite two to three times of, of fast food, average BMI 27. Wow. Let's see. That's huge. That's average huge. age, the average age. No, of course I had an 80 year old, but when you're 80, you're like, ah, even the 80 year olds like, eh, I had a heart attack. Okay. What do you expect? <laughs> I'm 80. <laughs> right? That's I yeah, I mean, yeah, typically. They're right. Yeah. They're right. But the average age was 42. My, my youngest. I was going to say 38, but I was close. Yeah. My youngest was 30 years old. Massive heart attack. Um, well, it was, well, here's my thing. I think the financial stress, like, but see, I only think there's financial stress because I would, I would relate that to specifically to social stress, right? The only reason that there's financial stress is because of so- social stress. So the, the 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 pressures of society and how we view everything now, 
that's what creates the financial stress, right? Like, like I, I remember like at, at a time, man, like where, you know, I was so broke when, you know, when I first moved here with like nothing and I just like was trying to make it like, I remember like I had like $50 one time in my bank account. I was never stressed. You know why? Because like, I never saw it as a thing of like, oh man, this is the end. This is the end of my life. This is the end of the road. This is the end of like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I, I think so many people who get into a point where they're just paying bills, just paying bills, just paying bills. It's like they get that stress because they're so focused on everything else. And then they get into like this pattern of like, they're paying all these bills just to impress all these people who don't give a fuck anyways. Yeah, and it's you like, know yeah. You know what's crazy? So I was emphasizing the cholesterol, the BMI, not all of them had, a few of them had high blood pressure. All the conventional risk factors, they just weren't there. Um, and that blew my mind and I kind of knew it, but it blew my mind. And so that prompted me to really look, can we find novel risk markers? A risk factor is really, you have a disease of some sort, like high blood pressure or high cholesterol, or you're overweight or you're sedentary. A risk marker means that you don't have the disease yet, but something's changed. And like a risk marker, I think one of the most important is, you know, hyperinsulinemia, which nobody checks, no conventional doctor yeah. checks. And so we looked at this a little closer. So we started to look at uh, all our CAT scans um, of patients who had calcium scores of zero. And we mm -hmm. put them so we took all, so we took a, uh, about 2000 patients, uh, myself and another cardiologist, older cardiologist here in town in Florida. Um, we had 2000 patients at database and we got all the ones that had a calcium score of zero and we put them through the usual cardiovascular risk factor, uh, uh, scores. And then we instituted a score that Jay Cohen uses out of Michigan. He's famous for the, um, uh, uh, indoor trials called the VA HEF trials of why we use this drug called isodilhydralazine um, in folks with bad hearts and heart failure. He was the pivot, he was the primary investigator for those trials, but he instituted a risk score called an early early cardiovascular health score, and he takes he takes a little different approach. What we do with this is we check microalbuminuria, and we, I've been doing this for years because microalbuminuria. Aside from kidney disease, it's, well, what's the root cause of the kidney disease? And the root cause is endothelial dysfunction. So we never, in, in, in the conventional mm -hmm. doctor, they never talk about the root cause. They just know microalbuminuria means, oh, shoot, we're going to have kidney disease. Let's get them on ACE or an ARB. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's right. change their diet <laughs> and um, look at their exercise regimen and get them on some beet salad or something. Um, uh, first yeah. and right. lose 15 pounds. But anyway, going back to the study of a calcium score of zero, and we used our early cardiovascular risk score, we compared it to the ACCHA risk score and the, the, for cardiovascular disease and your chance of a heart attack in 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, you can also use the, this Q score, which is a lifetime. So not only do we check microalbuminuria, we check uh, arterial venous photography. So we look at the back of the eye, take a picture because you can learn a lot from that. Okay. We check the, the carotid intima. We check uh, what's called C1 and C2 arterial elastins. And that's a, a direct measure of endothelial function. 
Um, and then we check you on a treadmill, uh, your blood pressure at rest and your blood pressure with mild exercise, because when you have an accelerated uh, uh, risk for hypertension, your blood pressure increases very quickly with mild exercise. Other, other than that, anytime you take your blood pressure at rest, it's going to be normal. And if you, mm -hmm. if you get into exercise, you're, you're 10 minutes into exercise, your body has now adjusted. So your pressure won't, you won't see these escalations, but within the first three minutes of mild exercise, you can see these exaggerated jumps in blood pressure, which is another marker of endothelial dysfunction because I'm going for root cause here. And so we validated this score with a zero calcium score. And we noticed that the thing that pumped that popped out to us was just that was the amount of uh, blood pressure rise with mild exercise and 20 to 30% is is really when it starts to get abnormal but what we also noticed is those folks with that marginal rise or exaggerated rise in blood pressure we noticed that they had a little more epicardial fat around their heart than the folks who had a completely normal blood pressure response and we thought oh shit, wow. okay maybe we found something here and that's exactly what we did and i had a paper out there on that um and and so we're <laughs> we actually had a conference here in in uh, in Sarasota uh, just a few weeks ago, and we had Matt Budoff, the king of coronary artery calcium score. He's the guru. He's he's the guy with all the Mesa trials that you get all the data from. Okay. And we, we debated that is calcium score that only gives you the tip of the iceberg, epicardial fat, because the root cause is insulin resistance in lipoprotein dysfunction. Right. Yet it affects the insulin receptor on the endothelial cell, just like it does everywhere else. And it right. doesn't allow glucose to get in assimilated into glycogen. And what that happens in the endothelial cell is you uh, disturb the myofilament response to calcium. You disturb the angiogenesis to create the small capillaries because that's what you really want. And it disturbs nitric oxide production. Um, and so we had a debate with the guru about maybe we should be looking at the root cause rather than the calcium score when it's too late. And yeah. so the jury's still out. So that's kind of where, so I have a whole, my, my, my whole um, uh, curiosity has now pivoted into fat metabolism and, and cause the cardiac system is primarily a free fatty acid energy producing system. And some uh, uh, ketogenic type of uh, diets, uh, uh, you know, not not the butter and ba bacon and all that. Right. <laughs> you know, that was Atkins, and you yeah. know, that, well, that's, that's just fun. that's just people just creating extremities to sell programs, yeah. unfortunately. And, and I'll tell you that there there's a whole um, metabolic conference in San Diego. I think it was in San Diego, but I got a I got a really good friend who's the chief medical officer for a really big um, uh, website. And he's very, he's very, very well thought out. He's a cardiologist mm -hmm. and they're huge. They're a huge proponent of high fat, low carb, but the high fat is quality. And that's what I think right. gets a lot of that gets missed. And so I'm oh, literally, yeah. I, that's what I study is fat metabolism. And I study it to make it, 
clinically useful because a lot of people will talk about mice. There's a guy that wrote a book called Lifespan. Everything he talks okay. about, yeah, he's great. He's great. He's super smart. But everything he talks about is in mice. It's way too soon to, right. to the human population. And, and if you look at the history of lab mice, it's they're, they're all related. It's a homogenous population. It's yeah. the history of lab mice is so interesting that really the only thing you can say about these lab mice studies is, is safety of stuff. You can't really really you can't really use a you can't really anchor down that this needs to be done because this is what we saw in these mice that you can't do that yet you can say yeah it's safe but mm. but the guy who wrote that book super smart but he's out there talking about stuff that has you cannot claim to the human world at this moment well the reason they use mice is because the mice's lifespan is so quick right so they're yeah. trying to be like, oh, we're putting it through a, you know, an accelerated, you know, study yeah. um, to you see can't. the effects. You can't but do it. You I can't because you know a twenty-four. If you fasted a mouse for twenty-four hours, they're dead. Um, and right. so, what's the equivalent from a mouse to a human? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Um, nobody knows. And so, so fat metabolism is kind of my expertise, and that leads me into why I've been using more genetics because you know I looked at my own. And I was blown away about, I've known about PPAR gamma and PPAR alpha for decades. Sure. Because of what we use um, uh, because of the inflammatory cascade in, in, the, in the body and the, the NERF2 system and the um, IL-1, right. IL-10, IL-6, TNF-alpha. As a physician, we've studied that for decades. Um, and the um, uh, uh, my genetics came back talking all about PPAR alpha, PPAR gamma, FTO. And I learned a lot about my own metabolism. I, I remember when I was a triathlete, I was fastest when I was between 165 and 168. And when I, when I needed to, when I was, when I had a, a nice fun weekend of no training, you know, you know how you, you back off and then you, you taper. Yeah, some people call it a deload. Yeah. Yeah, and then you you race, you taper, then you race, and then you then you recover and you eat whatever you want. Right. When you get back into training, you want to get back to your fighting weight. And so I would, all I would do is I would not drink any beer for. I would cut out carbs really. Um, that's all I would do. Yeah, I would just cut right. out the the empty carbs, and my weight would. And so I was like, wow, that's great. I, but I knew that because I was so diligent about what I ate what, and what I drank. I even knew my sweat rate. So I knew exactly how much I had to drink. I knew exactly how many electrolytes I had I needed because I was a cramper. Um, and if everyone can do that, life would be great. But fast forward 20 years, I get my genetics and I see exactly why. I tolerate carbs very well. So that means I, I metabolize them very well. So when I kick them out, my body immediately switches to fat. And it's, right. that's just how I am. And then I got really interested into this Lumen device. And by the way, no disclosure. Does that work or? It, it, yes. Yes, it okay. does. Interesting. It's a simple calculation. Very simple. The amount, because when you burn fat, where the, part of my French, where the fuck does it go? You breathe it out. That, that's true. Yeah, you do. That's, you can smell it. That's where it goes. You some some you go number one, number two, and if you have number three Z's, that's in our house. We joke. 
if you have three Z's, some of it, some of it goes, some of it goes out that way, but you blow it out. And so that, that uh, algorithm in Lumen, it just, it just calculates the oxygen to carbon dioxide ratio. If it's one, you're primarily burning carbs. If it's 0.7 or, or less than one, it's you're burning fat. And that's, that's been reproduced in exercise physiology labs 50 years. And that's why I'm, I'm amazed how Lumen was able to capitalize so easily on such a simple, uh, complex, yeah. com, com, uh, uh, complex uh, topic to make it so simple. And that's all it is. And we use those respiratory quotients in our intensive care units when we have to provide alimentation, also known as total parental nutrition to our patients. And because we all know, I'm telling you, I do this all, I do this twice a week. I calculate uh, nutrition on some of my uh, cardiogenic shock patients that are, you know, their hearts failed, their metabolisms failed, their mitochondria are dead. And once the mitochondria are dead in the heart, the mitochondria start dying everywhere. It happens everywhere. It's not right. just one. And so we have to adjust the TPN. We put in more omega-3s, more um, even sixes. And we put in a lot more magnesium than we have to, more calcium um, and, uh, and some other micronutrients. And we know that their cholesterol is going to creep up because guess what? We always have, we have to have them on heparin because they're going to get clots. And we know heparin activates lipoprotein lipase. And so what happens is when you're on this higher fat TPN on these critical patients, their cholesterol is going to go up. Triglycerides, LDL, they go up. Right. They, they actually become insulin resistant. And so we put on the insulin drips. So we've known this for decades, but mm. but it's it's starting to uh, enter general population knowledge or or uh, uh, healthcare knowledge to the um, to influencers uh, a little more recently. But we've known this for decades, and we've well, seen. I think it's interesting because you can kind of see like just in like a bodybuilding diet, right? It's like the bodybuilders who look the best on stage cut carbs going into the last five, you know, five to four weeks, like yeah. pretty significantly low. And then in the off season, your fat percentage is lower and your carb percentage is higher. The reason you can do that and still look good and still be okay and still gain muscle is because the calorie intake is so high that the fat percentage can still be low, still get a necessary amount of fat, but the carbs become more useful because you're trying to glycogenate the muscle mm -hmm. at a higher rate versus yeah. like when you're trying to get dialed in to be as super low body fat as possible, you know, cutting out an essential nutrient like fat is like really could be detrimental to how you look on stage. And if you look at some of the people who cut fat the last two weeks, and I've done it, you know, um, you just lose, you lose all your pop, you lose everything because your hormonal system, everything just goes, just plummets. Because even though you're, you know, synthetically jamming in all these hormones, they have nothing to attach to at that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have no, they have no function going on inside the body that's actually enhancing the fact of what they're trying to enhance, right? So you you lose all of this explosiveness in your muscle and how it stretches towards the skin. And I tell most people, I'm like, most people aren't flat on stage because they didn't carb up enough. They're flat on stage most of the time because they didn't even have fat. And 
That's, I mean, it's different for everybody, but I mean, for most people, I mean, sometimes it can be water balanced, those kind of things. Yeah. But for most people, I want to say it's just because for, for me specifically, um, just not enough fat. The times I've been flat on stage, just not enough fat going into the final week of the show. And so I think people are missing sometimes like they, they jump on this bandwagon and they're like, man, like I have to cut my fat. You know what I mean? I got to get low, 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 low fat so I can cut the calories, calories, calories. And I'm like, mm-hmm. man, like you can cut calories with carbs, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. you can, you can protein and fat your way into a show, but like, Fat almost at some point, almost at that last little bit becomes more essential than protein because you're not training hard enough to really need all the protein function, but you still need the fat function to assimilate to all the hormones, all the regulatory hormones. I mean, people don't understand like your insulin, your insulin regulation, all of that is, is going to go completely bonkers. If you just cut out all your fat in your diet, you're not going to have, you're not going to have regular insulin regulatory function. You're not going to have regulatory cortisol function. You're not going to have all these things that are necessary to create the perfect look on stage because your stress levels are going to be so high just because of the fact that the body doesn't know what's going on because it's missing a vital nutrient that it really needs to function at a proper rate. So, yeah. I mean, like it, it's trying to jam all these carbs in and it's like, I don't even know where to put them, yeah, right? It's, it's like so it just, they're just going right through and they're they're inflating the gut. You know, I mean, that's why a lot of these guys, like they just have like – their guts inflated on stage, but nothing else is inflated, right? Because everything's just sitting yeah. right there. Everything's just sitting right there, and it can't move into the muscle like it's supposed to. Whereas if you lowered your carbs and you actually upped your fat, you mixed it in. Like if you did, like you know, some you know, peanut butter or almond butter with certain things, like and and then you know, then have a little bit of rice. Like that rice is going to just explode in the muscle. You know what I mean? Because you're already so lean. You don't really need to like carb up super, super heavily. I think that's the mistake people make. Mm-hmm. They try to jam in all these carbs at the last second. And so they forget about the fat though. So, you know, it's, it's, it's being a physician is, is, is such a, it's my identity as my daughter pointed out. Multiple times. <laughs> you know, even though I, right. I, I try not to claim it, you know, when my no, wife, same I, being a, being a bodybuilder is always going to be my identity regardless yeah. of whether. Oh, you, yeah, come on. You just look at you and you're like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're scared. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I catch myself. I catch myself. The uh, I was talking to someone the other night and she was like, you talk about bodybuilding. You just bring a bodybuilder. Like every, you know, just like every example was just like something about like, and I'm like, fuck, like I'm, yeah, I'm turning into Arnold. Like <laughs> <laughs> Arnold, Arnold used to be like that. I don't know if you saw him when, when he was on the apprentice show, when he was doing apprentice. Yeah. Um, it was horrible. Don't watch it. It's not worth uh, it. But yeah. <laughs> he got terrible ratings, but he he assimilated everything. <laughs> you know, that's I mean, and just imagine, just imagine if he assimilated everything to uh his his uh movies like The Terminator or Yeah. No, he would be he would be like, you know, he'd be like he would like criticize people's work ethics though. And he'd be like, he'd be like, you know, like when we were in the gym, we were doing bicep curls and I've like caught myself, I've caught myself, right. Like doing that same thing where I'd be like, you know, I would assimilate and it'd be like, look, like, you know, just like when you're bodybuilding and you're doing this, blah, 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 and it, like it takes like, you know, the mentality level or blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, shit. But you know, <laughs> hey, hey, you know what the, the thing is, is that's what worked for him. And, right. 
uh, and he thinks it's going to work for everybody else. And that's why he's not a trainer. He, right. he became an actor. Um, cause you know, it, like Lou Ferrigno, he didn't become a trainer. He became the Hulk. Um, yeah. but what I was getting at as a physician is we get to you, we get to see the extreme of, uh, for example, I treat chronic kidney patients, some on dialysis, some state, we have a staging system one through five, and mm-hmm. I'm going to go right to the worst extreme. And this is where. You know, you talk about, oh, physicians don't know this, physicians don't know this, but actually, believe it or not, physicians actually know a lot. Um, uh, they just, they're just, they just maybe don't express it in a way as that you would think that. But when we deal with, let's say, end-stage renal patients, they have to be protein restricted because right. they can't clear, uh, they can't, they can't clear uh, the protein, and then they'll get encephalopathic as well as um, uh, liver, end-stage liver patients. And so when they're at end-stage or in that stage four, you have to really, really watch their diets. And how, so these are protein-restricted people. The fat has to be, um, uh, has to be carefully uh, 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 watched because when you look at through, when you go down uh, metabolism, they're the if you have too much fat with these with these folks they're because their their um uh, insulin receptors just are non-functional which is very interesting so they're primarily on a carb diet and so so they have very restricted protein um uh, uh a higher percentage of fat but low probably for what um uh for what someone what you would think and high carbs and so, and they're, they don't get, they're not getting their carbs. They're not doing carbs like fruit and vegetables. You know, they're probably doing pasta and chips and stuff because these people, they don't, the nutritionists work with them, but they're just, they're not there. Their, their brain fog is so high. So they just want immediate calories. And how do those people look? They look completely wasted. And so the complexity of what your macronutrient, it's really specific on the individual, but from the general nutritional consensus, yeah, you're going to probably get, get it right 75% of the time. And, and that's what prompted companies like Calibrate and Noom, you know, Calibrate's claiming weight loss and really they're, they're claiming the weight loss that you saw on average with the drug that they prescribe you. And then they're going to correlate the weight loss that you got with the drug with their entire program, because they're going to try to blow Noom out of the water and Weight Watchers out of the water. Mm-hmm. And, but it's the drug that does it. Um, and hopefully the calibrate uh, institutes the lifestyle changes for, for sustainability, because that's the other issue is none of this stuff is sustainable unless you figure out what works for you. And back to the genetics on myself, I don't handle saturated fat very well. If I ate, saturated fat in a steak form or Doritos chips, my LDL shoots through the roof. I can get that LDL to like 250 by not just one steak dinner, but if I had steak or a carne asada burrito or, or Doritos chips or Tostitos and salsa twice in one in, in a week, I can get my my LDL, um, uh, to 200, almost 250. I can get my LDL particle to over 2000. I can get my oxidized LDL to over 70 
And if I don't eat steak, if mm-hmm. I have it once a week and I don't eat Doritos or, or Tostitos, cause you know, I like them, but, and if I, but I don't, but this is the test. This is why you got to check your genetics or your labs. And you got to be with somebody that knows how to understand this, that understands this stuff. If I only have the steak once a week, but I eat uh, a huge salad or Brussels sprouts or broccoli before I don't have the LDL climb. I don't have the LDL particle climb. I don't have the oxidized LDL particle uh, climb. I don't have the PL uh, LPA2 climb. If I don't eat the salad or the Brussels sprouts or broccoli and I only have the steak, I have the LDL climb. I have the LDL particle climb, not as high, but I have the climbs. So I know that. And now that I have that information in my toolbox, I try to get all of my patients to check these particular labs, these particular genetics, and then make the experiments at home with a trainer or with a nutritionist to find exactly what's causing the problems. But that's a small part of the lifestyle plan because I have a program that called Sensible Strategies. SENS is the part of Sensible and sleep Mm. is the number one pillar because without sleep, all of this nonsense will do you no good <laughs> without sounds yeah. hygiene. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the biggest one that people miss. Um, I gotta ask you a question. Is there any association with mTOR activation in association with cardiovascular disease? Oh yeah. 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 So talk, talk about that a little bit, yeah. just because I know like for like yeah. my, you know, my bodybuilding audience, those kind of things, we talk about mTOR activation a lot. Well, when, whenever, so mTOR is mammalian. Yeah, go ahead and explain to people yeah, what that mTOR is. mTOR is mammalian target of rapamycin. Um, that's what it stands for. And it's actually associated with um, uh, expression of FOXO3, sirtuins, and it's it's considered a longevity, uh, a longevity gene. And you look at, you're finding ways on how you can suppress or you activate or you inhibit mTOR. And we find that inhibiting mTOR you may have more longevity. Is that correct? Um, correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so you cannot talk longevity without attacking the without attacking and uh, uh, discussing on a on a on a order of spades uh, diseases of chronic uh, of disease of chronicity such as diabetes, cardiovascular, stroke, um, and cancer. So. Anything, if you're talking about longevity, you you have to talk about how do you limit these chronic diseases because not, they're not mutually exclusive. And so, and we know that 80 to 90% of most chronic diseases that I just mentioned can be delayed if not prevented with appropriate lifestyle modification plan. And mTOR, um, you've got crazy drugs that you can try um, uh, like rapamycin, um, uh, and you've got, but I like the crazy lifestyle things that you can try like sauna and cold, um, uh, you know, um, uh, certain types of, uh, foods like a, uh, like a, uh, a heavy plant-based, I'm not saying primarily vegan, unless you have those ethical and, you know, just because you say you have these ethical reasons, that doesn't mean the next person's unethical. It really doesn't mean that. It's That's just, a whole other topic for a different yes, time. Right? 
it's a personal choice. Like the personal choice is I wear this white shirt. It's it's a personal <laughs> choice. It's not because you're I'm, you're unethical. Don't even get me right. started. Um, and, <laughs> right. But that's because everything is so binary right now. Everything is so black and white. Um, and everything so is so tribal right. that you, in this group think you group you think this way or you think that way. But it's we not talked about this on another episode. Actually, we we were talking about this exact thing. Yep. Yeah. So I choose I choose um, lifestyle uh, strategies, and there's a whole uh, uh, preventative research program. I think it's called like the UPP or something. You can cross reference that, which do a lot of this longevity research. I think it's out of Minnesota, Michigan, or Minnesota. But again, a lot of their um, uh, claims are primarily in mice, and a lot of the mTOR downregulation, mTOR upregulation. It's the the studies are there, but it's 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 still very granular at this moment. But if you're making lifestyle changes, there's no side effects unless you get hit by a bus or or you get food poisoning and die because you didn't wash your strawberries. Um, but it's a lifestyle. There's no side effects. So, so I, that's why I do a lot of lifestyle interventions like cold and sauna, um, uh, 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 HIIT exercise, which, uh, which can downregulate, uh, mTOR. Um, uh, and what the primary thing is, is though, is sleep hygiene, <laughs> sleep hygiene and the huge is, is probably the most important to to longevity is, is sleep hygiene and and i watch there's a guy i watch on it's really the only podcast that i uh aside from the generation alpha um the other podcast that I, <laughs> I like that plug <laughs> that's good other podcast i listen to is is the drive um, yeah with peter Atia. yeah he's yep. now he's taking it to an extreme and um but Love he that is, podcast yeah yeah it's a it's a great podcast and his his um his concepts of uh exploring and choosing longevity concepts are extreme and it's extreme because it's an extreme science and he right. i i like how he delivers it he's very objective and he doesn't he doesn't really go one way or another and he he does a lot of the experiments on himself and he talks about taking rapamycin and he talks about taking metformin to enhance AMPK um, in addition to lifestyle changes, but it's never been shown that taking these pills is any better than some of the aggressive lifestyle changes, but we have the pills because not everybody has the willpower like a Peter Atia or like a you or like a me that once we say we do something, we're going to do it. But most right. people don't like that. So that's why we yeah, have, yeah. It, you know, I mean, you know, for me specifically, like the one thing that really kills me with, you know, studies and everything is just like the attack that anabolic steroids get on the longevity of athletes. And I'm like, you know, there's really no studies or anything or any kind of research out there specifically done with anabolic steroids on people who live a bodybuilding based lifestyle, right? Like there's nothing out there that shows, you know, all the stuff that people are pulling the data from all this data is taken from people in clinical trial studies who are taking anabolic steroids who are already mostly sick or ill or dying from some type of muscle wasting disease to where they actually needed 
the medication to survive. And then you had people in a control group, you had people in the, you know, in, in the, you know, in the other group who, you know, were actually taking the drug. And then, then you had, you know, then you have studies where you shun where it's done on rats and mice and all this stuff. And like you said, you just cannot compare. So therefore I, I think it's strange how we pull these studies and research on people because recently, you know, we had a bodybuilder who I know who I was going to work with actually, who, people can read. I had a Facebook post up about him. I had to take down because of some people were trying to lash out on the post, you know, at me. And I was just like, I'm not going to even get in discussion with this. I don't want this to disrespect his memory. But what was funny was his TMZ made an article uh, about him specifically and said, um, autopsy proves that steroids contributed to death. And I thought that was interesting because if you actually look at the actual autopsy, like I did myself and read it, now, most people would say that, you know, they would go, oh, well, steroids contribute to the death. Okay, well, how so? Did they narrow the arteries over time? Did they increase the you know, size of the heart over time? Were any of his organs damaged over time? Was anything in his vascular system shown to where it was actually damaged or non-functioning? Was his cholesterol system, you know, extremely elevated, where his triglycerides extremely elevated? If you looked at his autopsy at the time of his death, when they did his blood samples, all this stuff, toxicity report, everything. His vascular system was, they said, you know, in the autopsy, it stated that it's, you know, almost, they said in perfect condition, like his vascular system is better than most people, meaning it's better than most people who even live an average day lifestyle, right? With no anabolic steroids and his, all of his organs, perfect condition, normal size, heart slightly, slightly enlarged, but he's an athlete, right? So any kind of athlete is going to have a slightly enlarged heart just from overworking the muscle there in the heart. Um, left ventricle, nothing wrong. Right ventricle, nothing wrong. Nothing wrong in the arteries, right? So nothing wrong with the chambers of the heart. So it, it shows you, it's like, okay, well, how did he die? Well, they came to the conclusion that he had an arrhythmia. But as we both know, you can't really prove an arrhythmia, right, in an autopsy as a coroner, you can't prove that someone had an arrhythmia. You just have to say, well, this is like our only judgment. This is our last, you know, thing on the paper. This is the last box we check. Really the only on autopsy it, to know if you had a dysrhythmia is you have documentation of it. Right. To, to, to well, he know. died in his sleep. He died in his sleep though. No one was even in his room. So no one even, even really knows what all happened. So, I mean, unless they had he had like what's called arvd where you can see fat in the right ventricle then yeah right. maybe, maybe that's it or or yeah. you know hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and you look at the heart but right. uh, he didn't way. have it and that, that yeah. was there so Crazy. that shows you that you know whatever caused any anything uh was a complete freak you know occurrence um and you know i i if i would make the assumption i would say that it was an electrolyte imbalance potentially that could have caused his heart to just stop and not restart sleep apnea, sleep apnea, very possible too. That's a very good point. Um, but you know, so those are my assumptions. The point is, is what I was trying to make to people in the post is these, these people, these corners who want to write on there and they want to write because they just automatically write They're They're throwing away everything else, right? As soon as they see bodybuilder right there on the report, coming to him, they're automatically writing steroids contributed to death, case closed, done. And TMZ picks it up and TMZ runs with the story because it's 
you know, it's interesting or whatever. Yeah. And so it's sensation. You know? Yeah. And it's, and it's just disrespectful to his, you know, to everybody around him because then it makes his family who doesn't, who don't know anything about medicine or heart or, you know, cardiology or anything like that. They're, they're, they're not going to be able to understand and read an autopsy. Right. So his mom's not, you know, his mom lives, I mean, he, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's from Brooklyn, you know, I mean, he's from a little, you know, little tiny house in Brooklyn, New York. Um, you know, his sisters don't know anything about, you know, health or, you know, endothelial function or, you know, yeah. cardiomyopathy or anything like that. They don't know any of this stuff. So they're just automatically going to listen to whatever the doctor said. And then they're going to go, Oh man, like, the sport, you know, it killed him. That's, and that's the headline, right? That his, the sport, it killed him. And, you know, I don't think there's anybody out there claiming that if you jam a bunch of stuff inside your body to enhance a bunch of different things, that it's necessarily going to contribute to your longevity in any sense. But my argument in a way is that I don't think there's any argument associated as of right now to what we can make because, you know, on the opposite end, just because we don't know exactly how anabolic steroids affect people over time living a much more cleaner diet specifically have much more high muscular training. You know, their bodies are able to sustain a lot more. I've always said in the end of the day, what's more dangerous to bodybuilding than anything is the overusage of insulin inside the body to um, accumulate all of the carbohydrates that are shoved into the system daily to enhance the size right? So it's the massive amounts of eating on a consistent basis, like oversupplying this food chain in the off season and creating this like extremely unhealthy pattern of like insulin production to where, you know, there's, there's times like, you know, like I know people like eating so many, so many carbs is just like, you have to take insulin at to a certain degree because your body just specifically cannot handle enough of its self-production to be able to actually move that amount of carbohydrates into the muscle effectively without added insulin. So then you start adding insulin in and then a lot of guys misuse insulin. So then they're actually eating to feed the insulin to make sure that, you know, they don't drop to zero <laughs> in their blood sugar. And then, so you got guys in the off season, they're sitting there, they're smashing, they're smashing Snickers bars, they're smashing cereal to, you know, try to bring their blood sugar back up. And they're like, you know, because they're now they're just in a pattern of where they're feeding the insulin. They're not even using the insulin to, you know, assimilate the carbs into the muscle glycogen. So then you have like this, you know, extremely high insulin level, you know, cranking, 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 cranking all the time. And, you know, a lot of people blow up in the off season. I, mean, I know I, I used to blow up in the off season just because like, that's just what you have to do to, for most people have to do to gain the size necessary is you just, you have to slam massive amounts of food. But the, that, to me, is the bigger risk over the anabolic steroids, you know, specifically just saying just steroids specifically themselves, um, not talking, you know, GH use, insulin use, you know, all the, you know, all the, you know, ancillaries that come with bodybuilding. Uh, there's a lot of those too. Creatine use, even though there's benefit. Yeah. You take too much of it. Yeah. Your kidneys are going to say, see you later. Um, but you know, it's, it's interesting when you talk about the vascular system, because, you know, I was telling you about our study we did with calcium scores of zero. Mm -hmm. We then pulled another population in our, in our data set to say, well, let's look at people with high calcium scores. Mm -hmm. 
and 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 let's correlate this with their epicardial adipose tissue or the fat around the heart. And you know the average calcium score was over eighteen hundred, and we noticed that these so everyone had coronary disease, and they would be considered high risk. But we noticed that the folks who had epicardial fat volume less than 100 cubic centimeters versus those who had it over 100, we noticed that the guys who had nor or gals guys who had normal epicardial fat volume, they had essentially normal looking arteries on angiogram. So they had positive remodeling it didn't encroach on the vessels. And what we noticed that those folks were more active wasn't necessarily diet, but they were more right. active on a daily basis. And so, and then if you look at, so then we, so we don't choose studies that fit our narrative because I'm right. a researcher, I'm a researching cardiologist. Anyone who's a researcher, we never choose studies to fit our narrative. We ask a question and then we go into the research to look at, well, what is, has this question been answered before? And is that has been looked at to a way in a way that we've looked at it. And that's what we do. But, you know, a lot of people who, who look at research now, they, they have a, a, a tribal think mentality and now they mm -hmm. look for papers that fit that mentality. And it's very different. Right. So, so I go to the, I go to PubMed, which is my favorite in Cochrane database. I know what papers are high quality. I know what not are not high quality immediately within seconds, because right. this is all I do. So right. I go and I, and I find a paper um, that uh, looked into cardiac rehab. So patients who had coronary artery bypass, they had an epicardial fat volume evaluated by ultrasound. Now mine was by CAT scan, by ultrasound. This paper mm -hmm. went way back. Nobody ever talked about it, but I found it. And it was a good paper. It was like 80, 80 people. Right. And they found, and they followed the epicardial fat. And after um, six weeks of cardiac rehab, which is a structured exercise, nutrition, lifestyle <clears throat> program uh, regimented three times a week, they reduced their epicardial fat volume by 50%. It wow. was unbelievable. And now we correlate that because we have a lot of angiograms because I do the angiograms on these people and we noticed the arteries were smooth because the calcium it's called extravascular versus intravascular the calcium grew extravascular so that means that when the medial layer was infiltrated with the oxidized ldl um, and the triglycerides the oxidized triglycerides creating the foam cells and the waxy substances just think of it like a pimple it's the same mm -hmm. the same concept right the same IL-10s, TNL-alphas, oxidized triglyceride. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's just, it's an inflammation caused by a trigger. It's the same concept. And the pimple pops this way. The artery pops that way. Um, and then the, then the thing heals. And if you're lucky, you don't get a scar. Well, that's what happens when people are active. The, I can't emphasize that even more. The calcification stabilized and a stabilized calcification is a good thing and then a, a regrowth of endothelium over that stabilized calcium has occurred because we check their endothelial function with c1 and c2 endopat c1 is large vessel that's the aorta pulse wave volume you check the velocity or the speed of the blood as it 
goes down from the carotid to the femoral arteries that are in the groin, and then you watch the reverb wave. And a stiff pipe has a different uh, waveform than a flexible pipe. We like flexible pipes. And the C2 are your capacitance vessels because those are the ones that really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, the little capillaries that form, that, that feeds everything. Right. And, and we found that um, the folks who exercise more had higher uh, elastance in the C1 vessels. Microvascular is, it didn't affect it that much, which was very interesting to me because then that means the damage is done. The damage is done but you can limit the damage um, by limiting the large vessel elastance with, uh, with movement. And that's what we, that's, and so when we talk about lifestyle modifications, you know, you, you want to sign up with authentic people that can filter through the noise and make practical, useful, everyday uh, choices. And, And then let the person, master themselves by by measuring themselves because once you can measure it man you can manage it um and that's and we're talking that's mr rogers by the way Um, (laughs) that's good i like it and so and that's kind of like that's kind of what i'm into now i'm into i'm all into that if i can dan man if i can stop doing procedures and stop coming in at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning and, and just have a regular day and spend more time with family and windsurfing on the water. Dude, I've got, I'm at the top ringing the bell. With, um, yeah. With that. Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah, and, then, and then I want to pay it forward, but getting the message out is, is, is very difficult because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of noise and folks who make extraordinary claims find extraordinary evidence from very peculiar um, places, you know, and there's a lot. Of yeah, there. there is a lot. So, well, let's, let's finish it out. Let's say if you could give people your top level advice of how to reduce their risk for cardiovascular disease, what is your, what is your top final advice for people just listening, just your average person, not athletes, anything like that, but just, everybody very very simple it's my sensible strategies s is sleep hygiene e is exercise n stands for nutrition and that's based on your genetics it's 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 still a little granular but we can really dial in and nutrition you just got to add more vegetable and fruit um uh and if you're eating fast food just stop um and then the second s is stress management and finding uh finding your balance within your family because you know, in this world, nobody cares about you but yourself and your family. No, nobody right. else cares. And so you should, you should focus on yourself and your family and then pay it forward to your circle that's closest around you. And then believe it or not, like that, that. Circle, that circle will grow. But that's not the goal. The goal is to mature those closest around you. But if you make those sensible SENS everyday life and you just search, how do I sleep better? It's there. The internet will give it to you for free. You search exercise, the internet will give you it for free. But the problem is, is you will have no accountability. You need to align with Tom Brady has five coaches. Absolutely. I mean, and look what he did. Imagine if he had 10. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, he was one of his coaches too. I mean, you're talking to somebody with an extraordinary amount of discipline too. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I know for me specifically when I was, you know, when I was training, when I was, you know, the epitome of obsession with bodybuilding, never had a coach, 
And, uh, but you know, my, I was my own coach because my accountability for myself was so high. Just the problem is, is that most people will never get there, right? Most people can never get to that point where like their accountability is so high. The point is, is I think too, is, you know, the reason I think the financial thing is such a big deal is because that's most people's accountability, right? That's your accountability measurement. Well, it's is, their identity. It's their identity. It's their identity. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. So you hear, get get your finances up, guys. Reduce your risk of heart disease. Health, health is wealth. <laughs> health is wealth. Health That'll is be wealth. the uh, that's the that's the thumbnail for today for sure. Are you right. is uh, being broke uh, giving you heart disease? <laughs> that'll be the that'll be the draw it. But I love it, man. I love the uh, I love the sensible strategy. I like that. I think it's a good way to uh, end everything here today. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'm really glad we had this talk. I think. You know, definitely people need to hear, you know, what you're uh, what you're talking about today. And I, I think it's, you know, it's huge. So it's an extremely important topic that has to be discussed and we just can't talk about it enough right, right. now. So what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to uh, work with you on anything? Uh, 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 Sarasota Heart Center, you know, okay. it's 941-917-8185. You can check out my website, uh, lifestylemdsrq.com. That's okay. my wellness. That's my wellness and health program. Got it. I run a hybrid regular practice and then a wellness practice. Right. And that, that gives you an idea of what I'm about. And, you know, I have, gosh, I, I got pictures. I got stories. I've been in people's arteries. I'll tell you what they look like blown up when they get blown up. I'll tell you, I'll sh I can show you what <laughs> you're doing to yourself and you don't even know it. You won't know it for another right. five, 10 years. That's why we got to get to you soon sooner proactive a proactive health model yeah right i got you well um hey man again really appreciate you coming on love what you said today if you guys need if you guys need anything from fred reach out to him who knows if you reach out to him about diet or training you might end up working with me so <laughs> it's a possibility more than likely, more than likely. <laughs> all right guys this is generation alpha signing out really appreciate fred coming on here today um and Thanks. I'll catch you guys on the next one. All right. Thanks, bye. bye.